Hello, hello. Hello. And welcome back to Trying to Figure It Out. I'm Allie, and this week welcome. with me, we have Brian Austin Green. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so to. much for inviting me. Thank you. We are here. It is the new year. You are our first guest after the new year. For anyone who is new here on Trying to Figure It Out, we do exactly that. We try to figure out life, even though that's almost impossible to do. So thank you. Thank you. And for anyone who doesn't know, Brian is best known for his role as David Silver on Beverly Hills 90210. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about how your acting career started out and how you ended up on that show? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a long, it's a long story. How much time do you have? As much time as you okay. want. So I started acting when I was nine. Um, I, had a, I had a friend that I went to school with, uh, I rode the bus with that he was acting. And I was going to a performing arts school, like a music academy, studying music. And he always had money. He always had toys and stuff on the bus. And I was like, that is, like, is your family rich? And I was like, that's really cool. So I asked him how, and he told me that he did commercials. Um, and his parents gave him a percentage of the money that he made. So um, that's I was like, crazy. that's amazing. I want to do that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, how to, I didn't know that was even possible. I honestly, at that point, didn't think that um, normal people were on television. I thought that TV was like this special world in this box where, because yeah. it was so, there was no social media. There wasn't any of that at that point. So it was just this magical place. And it was like, oh, only special people get to be inside the box right. talking. So I went and I met with his agent and started auditioning for things. And I didn't book anything for like a year. Nothing at all. Every commercial that I went in for. And I, I auditioned constantly. Mm -hmm. But I just had no idea of what I was doing. I was like, I, how does this work? I, what are they looking for when, right. when you're auditioning? And, um, and then I booked a first national bank commercial, I believe it was. <laughs> it never aired. But I booked it, and I remember, I, like, I remember clearly leaving the audition and feeling like that was different, and I gave them something that they were looking for. And I realized like, oh, this is, people are hiring me. So I need to show up and do what it is they need. Like, it's not just me right. being a dopey kid and you know, hoping for the best. Um, and then I started booking everything. Literally every commercial that I went in for, at just everything. I did probably 75 commercials. I did, uh, I was on Knott's Landing for four and a half years. I was in the pilot for Baywatch. I was in the pilot for Saved by the Bell. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then 90210 came around. And at that point, 90210 was just a pilot. Right. So nine times out of ten, pilots didn't get picked up. The, right. There were four networks or three networks at that time. And um, they would do like 20 pilots each. And they'd pick up like one or two because it was expensive for them. It's crazy. So um, I did the pilot for 90210. It's called Class of Beverly Hills. I was like, oh, cool. Nice to meet you all. Like, <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. Good to see you. I'll see you back out, you know, on the on the road, on the on the circuit, the audition circuit. Because we did the show on Fox, Fox didn't have really any programming. They weren't they weren't a, a big network at that point. They gave it a shot, but they gave us uh, 13 episodes, not a full season pickup. So we did 13 episodes. Um, nobody watched it. No one at all. <laughs> We would go do 
pie eating contests and go to like state fairs and mm-hmm. like uh, and do whatever we could to promote the show. And nobody watched it. Nobody could remember the name. Nine hundred two one zero meant nothing to nobody. They still had nothing else to put put on. So they were like, "Oh, we might as well pick it up for the back nine episodes." Like, what? What do <laughs> what we have to lose? Are we doing? <laughs> right. It's going to cost more to do another pilot and hope we can get you know thirteen out of that. So they did the nine episodes. Nobody was really watching, but Fox had this idea of having summer episodes. So when all the kids were out of school and most shows were on hiatus and they were showing reruns, we would have new episodes for, for kids. And it was a, our show was mainly a, a youth audience, um, but it, nothing had ever been done like the show before. Mm-hmm. There had never been a nighttime drama for kids. There was for teens. There was no anything like that. The show went from nobody watching to everybody watching within like two weeks. It's insane. And it was crazy. That show, I mean, 90210 worked in the 90s because there was no internet. There was no ability to fact check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we could, <laughs> we could really sort of take our own artistic liberties and telling stories. And yeah. oh, this is what Beverly Hills is like. And people are like, wow, that's amazing. Right. I want to see West Beverly High. It's like, well, you'll never see it because it doesn't, it doesn't exist. exist. <laughs> Beverly Hills Beach Club, like all the, you know. We just had all of these things that were insane. Yeah. It's crazy now that shows average like 12 episodes a season. I mean, when we were on, we were doing 35 episodes a season. That's a lot. We had two And they were 45-minute episodes? Hour, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were an hour, but then with commercial breaks, it was like 47 yeah. or something like that. That's a lot. A lot. We had two crews, two scripts, two directors. And we would be bouncing back and forth from one set to the other on the same day mm-hmm. just to get get the the two episodes done. Mm-hmm. And we did 10 years of the show, That's 35 crazy. episodes a season, not from the beginning, but probably from epi- from season God, four, four on. It was a lot of work. I it was can't. a lot of work. I mean, it's you really don't hear about that anymore. No, for Grey's no, Anatomy. that that whole art <laughs> form, Anatomy that whole side of it is one. done. You're right, exactly. <laughs> and they're just hanging on yeah, the thread. Yeah. When you started acting, you said that you were on the bus, you saw a kid with cool toys, and you're yeah. like, "How the fuck are you getting those cool toys?" Right. And you were like, "Let me get some toys. <laughs> Let me connect with your agent." Yeah, yeah. And then you connected with an agent. How did you know when you kind of made it? Nine hundred two one zero was way bigger than I will ever in my own mind. Um, think of it as Mm -hmm. fame was an interesting thing. Like when 90210 blew up, there was that part that was like, holy shit, like a lot of people are watching this, Mm -hmm. but I didn't feel like it was like a zero to a hundred thing for me. Cause I'd been doing it for so long at that point. It was really, honestly, it felt like, oh, this feels nice. Like I'm in something that is, they're picking us up season by season, easily. We're not stressing about it. A lot of people are watching it. I have steady income. Like, this is amazing. Because I've been the dream. <laughs> fucking grinding at this for a long... I started when I was, again, nine years old. And I was 17 when we started doing 90210. It's crazy. So, yeah, it had been a good fucking chunk of time yeah. for me. Um, and I remember I was the youngest one on the show. 
but I had one of the highest uh, quotes just because I had been working for so long mm -hmm. with money just from commercials and shit. I bought my first house in Burbank when I was 17. <laughs> I, I couldn't even <laughs> legally buy a house. Like my parents had to buy it. And then when I turned 18, they signed it over to me. But yeah, as soon as I graduated from high school, they were like, okay, see ya. And I moved into my house in Burbank. And That's crazy. By yourself completely? Completely by myself. I would be shitting myself. I loved That's it. crazy. Uh, I loved it. But I remember the first night I was there, I was like, holy shit, I'm in my own fun. <laughs> and I saw like a cockroach outside and shit. I was like, wow, this is, I'm fucking. It's on you to figure I'm that really out. I'm really doing it now. <laughs> this is big. I can only relate to that on a lower level of like <laughs> when I drove by myself for the first time and I was like what is the first song I'm ever gonna play alone in my car with no one to tell me that I'm veering off the side of the road Crazy. or driving yeah like that feeling of like holy it actually for a second too because I was never afraid driving and I was like wait a second my dad's not gonna be there to tell me like or just to like protect me I'm like holy shit I'm really in control I remember when of my I graduated right from now. high school and I told my son Cassius about this too. I was like, it was the most surreal experience for me because I'd spent my entire life waking up at a certain time, getting to school, doing the things, and then you wake up the day after you're done and you're like, fuck, now what? <laughs> fuck, I'm done. Like this is yeah. the craziest thing ever to wrap my brain around. Mm -hmm. And I, I always told Cash, I was like, you have, I'm telling you, you're going to graduate from school and you're going to wake up the next morning and you'll be like, holy shit. And now I'm he's 21. <laughs> I have a 21 year old son. Fuck. <laughs> it's okay. I, I took him for uh, dinner for his birthday mm -hmm. and he ordered cocktails. Then you're like, what the I was fuck? like, <laughs> wait, you should check his ID first. And they did. And they were like, yeah, no, he's good. And I was like, motherfucker, God <laughs> damn it. He's fucking old enough to order alcohol. Now, this, is, this isn't right. That's How scary. did this happen? <laughs> How did this happen? I can't believe I'm 50 years old and I have a 21-year-old. I was, yeah, I was 20, I was 29 when he was born. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about my ways of knowing you okay. because I have my little fangirls moment. Okay. I love Desperate Housewives. Okay. <laughs> and I know you from Desperate Housewives okay. because I was I watched it like through and through, have rewatched it. So okay. I know your character on Desperate right. Housewives. Can you talk to me about how you ended up on that show? Was 90210 was done at that was point. Long done. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was um Megan and I had just gotten married and we came back, we were in Hawaii and I got home. My manager reached out to me and she said Mark Cherry, who's the who's the showrunner and the creator of mm -hmm. Desperate Housewives, wants you, wants you to come in. He has a new character he wants to talk to you about. I was like, sure. Like, I, you know, I mean, I'm just getting home. I don't know if, how fucking good I'll be. Like, yeah. I'm, you know, Rusty. kind of on, yeah, I'm kind of on cloud nine right now. And I've been <laughs> like, you know, drinking in Hawaii and, and swimming, swimming a lot. <laughs> um, so I went in and met with him and he was a great fucking guy. And uh, I think I started work on Desperate Housewives like a week and a half later. That but show was great. It, I it was loved really the concept fun. of it. Like yeah. I loved Wisteria Lane. It was like, really fun. And for me, uh, growing up in Los Angeles, I used to go to Universal Studios all the time when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So to all of a sudden be working there and being yeah. on the back lot and be like, oh my God, I used to like be this on the tour. tram. <laughs> yeah. And this was like the Leave it to Beaver set, yeah. you know, and all, and all like this. And now it's, 
And so I was, I would park over by like where Jaws would be, at the, yeah. you know, the tram thing. I was like, oh my God, like I know this whole area. And yeah. I walked to what was then Wisteria Lane and we would shoot, you know, mm-hmm. there. It's and it still was, there. It is, but it was great. It was a great group of people. It was a great cast. It was a great crew. Yeah. It was a good show for you to be a fan of. Yeah. For sure. Uh, that was like definitely an entry into the more adulthood TV yeah. shows oh, for yeah. me. Because yeah. it was definitely a little raunchy for me at the age that I was watching it. But yeah, I, I didn't care. I was like, <laughs> you learned a lot. Watch it. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about one more show. Okay. But not right now. I'm going to come mm. back to it after we talk about okay. some other stuff because I think it'll be more relatable. So after. you've got like a bit of a format here is what you're saying. Some We're following a schedule. Barely. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, so in 2004, you started dating Megan Fox. Mm-hmm. You two eventually got married, as you mentioned. Yeah. How did the paparazzi and the public react to your guys's relationship at the beginning? Well, at the beginning, paparazzi didn't really exist the same way. And, you know, she hadn't done uh, Transformers when we first started. Right. When, when we first started dating, she was doing Hope and Faith in New York, which is where I met her. I, I went out there to do an episode of that. So paparazzi didn't give a shit about us. We started <laughs> dating and they, like there was no, there would be the nobody now. anywhere. It wasn't until Transformers that all of a sudden it was just fucking Looney Tunes. Like, it was crazy. I mean, there would be 30 guys out front of our house. Like, it was just, and that was my introduction into paparazzi. Like I'd yeah. kind of seen it before and see like with Paris Hilton and these things that were going on. I was like, wow, this is really intense. <laughs> it's really fucking intense, but I hadn't experienced it. And then when you experience it and you're kind of thrust into it, cause I'd been in the business for so long. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this isn't, this is not healthy. This mm-hmm. is not normal. This is a really weird thing that's yeah. going on. It's incredibly invasive. Uh, paparazzi at that point were incredibly disrespectful because there was no, uh, there were so many people uh, from all over the world that were out here just taking pictures. And so it was everybody fighting to get the best shot. Yeah. And they didn't care if they hit you in the face with a camera in doing that or like I had guys that were, you'd open the car door to, I'd open the car door to let her in and guys would like fall into the fucking car just because they'd be like so busy trying to get a shot. Then they'd be like, oh my God. And they'd have to get up out of the car. I was like, what the fuck is going, what is going on? This doesn't make any sense. It's not human. It's not human. It's really not. It's the wild, wild west that way. Like it's very, it's kind Mm -hmm. of like the internet now. Like there's no, there's no regulation to it. And there was mm-hmm. no rhyme or reason for anything. It was just sort of like guys guys wanting to make money. And I get it. I understand it now more than I did then before. Yeah. I used to get really um, like angry and aggressive when people were in our space. And it was, it was really hard to deal with. Now I understand that it is, it's a job for these guys there are people that are better at that job than others <laughs> that are much more respectful, that are kind, that keep a distance, that respect boundaries, that, you know, say hello and, and thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And they're, that are normal people. And you really realize like, oh, they're just out here. That's how they make money. The same way I do what I do to make money. Yeah. Um, so I've learned a little bit more to find kind of a healthy place to live within it but that lane is always 
it's always insane. Like when Megan yeah. and I got uh, divorced, fuck, it, I was on the cover of shit. It, and it was during the pandemic. So yeah. I was on the cover of shit like every fucking day online, like every publication of what T-shirt I was wearing or who I was seen with or what was, or who said what, or is this a signal from Brian to Megan or from Megan to Brian or, you know, because of the words that, and they're just, the, they're just make well, they're just making up these fucking ridiculous stories. Yeah. It was like, you know, God, God forbid I wear a fucking shirt with a heart on it. It's like, oh, he's wearing a shirt with a heart on it because he really misses Megan, you know? <laughs> Like they were just creating whatever the, the fuck they could. What actually was going on for you? Because like you said, there were covers of, you know, you wore a shirt with a heart on it and people are saying this is a sign that he misses her. Like what were you going through at that time? And I asked this because for me, I grew up with divorced parents and I always really find it interesting to hear the perspective of someone going through a divorce or who has gone through a divorce from that perspective, I think is just really yeah. interesting for me to hear and my listeners as well. The divorce... Kind of came out of nowhere a bit. I mean, neither one of us did anything to the other. There wasn't like a big thing that happened that caused you know problems in the relationship. Or the I think the reality is is that when we started dating, she was eighteen. Um, my son Cassius was already born. He was two and a half, coming up on three. Mm -hmm. So she had been a responsible parent and a stepmother for a long time. And at the point when she started, when she did Transformers and things completely changed, she didn't get to experience being a single young woman that was just at the top of her fucking game. And, yeah. you know, and everybody wanted to talk to her and everybody wanted to meet her. And, it, and she didn't get the full experience of that because she was in a relationship and then ended up getting married. And then we had three kids. And so she was very responsible mm -hmm. and she, I experienced a lot of stuff when I was young. I started doing that on two when I, when I was 17. Yeah. So I went out to clubs. I like, I fucking, you know, dated people. Like I, I lived, I traveled a lot. I did a lot of things and Megan didn't get a chance to do that. I could tell, and she would openly talk to me about the fact that that was really starting to wear on her. She really felt like she was um, not not hindered, but like she was in something that was just, she was really starting to feel the weight of it. Mm -hmm. But she always, she comes from a, from a divorced family also. Her mom and dad divorced when she was like three. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the things that she used to say to me all the time that really stuck out. One of the things she really loved about her father was that she never once heard him say a bad word about her mother mm -hmm. ever. No matter what was going on, like no matter, you know, what was being said in reverse or what stories were just net, like he would, the worst thing he would say is, well, that's not the way I remember it. So important. And so Megan and I really made a conscious effort and it didn't start this way. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to make people feel bad for relationships being a bit contentious when, yeah. when they end because they end for a reason. They end because 
things are fucking a little contentious and strange and you're not seeing eye to eye the same way. Yeah. Um, so you need some time to kind of be out of it and see it all again and then um, look at it in a different way. And so, you know, we went through that period of like, I wasn't sure how to act with her. She like, it was very, it's strange. Awkward. It's yeah. awkward when you're not with somebody, but you know so much of, I mean, we've been together for 15 years. Yeah, I, kids. <laughs> I, I know more about Megan probably than anybody else on this planet right. does. Like I've seen all of it. Like I knew her when she was young and like before the, the, the stardom and the film and the stuff and the, and again, we have three kids and mm-hmm. like we've, We've been through it. Um, For sure. But now I feel like we have found a really cool understanding of each other and like a mutual respect for each other. Mm-hmm. We're very, we have very different parenting styles, but we've found peace in that. Like mm-hmm. we don't, I, I, I would... I would never in a million years want to paint her in a negative light at all with her kids. She loves her kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people make a mistake when they separate of thinking, okay, well, we don't want this to affect the kids. Yeah. Cause it's going to affect the kids. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely going to affect the kids. There's no way for it not to. The only thing you have control over, I think is how it affects your kids. Mm hmm whether you make it a really great situation for them and you make it like you root them on when they're going over to mom's house or your house or, mm-hmm. and for holidays and parties and, oh my God, it's going to be so much fun and mom cannot wait to see you and it's going to be so great and, oh, you're going to go on a trip and you're going to do like, or you make it some like contentious, you know, oh, you know, your mom is just, she's a terrible mother and she just does wrong. And you make it this thing where kids feel like they have to pick a side and a team and they're in the middle, but they love both of you. And um, it's a hard, that's a hard situation mm-hmm. to be in. I did that, that happened a lot with uh, Cassius. And looking back on it now, there's honestly nothing I would want to change in my life except for that. Yeah. Like looking back on it, I really wish for him. And he's an amazing kid, an amazing person yeah. now. And I, and I know that, uh, his life and what he's gone through has made that. So I don't know if he would necessarily want to change it Mm -hmm. for the same reason that I wouldn't. I kind of feel like all of the, the stumbles and the trips and the bumps and the things make you who you are. A hundred percent. Um, but fuck, I wish I could do that better. Like I wish I had a better mindset for it and I was more patient and understanding with it all and uh, things weren't as rocky and crazy as they were but they were yeah again all this is even more magnified because you're in the public eye while experiencing human things that Mm. are very hard for anybody to go through but I think that it's really amazing that you guys have been able to co-parent the way you have and I think that when the media is out here trying to paint you guys as one person was the one who did one thing and one person did this. I think it's really amazing that you guys can, you know, walk through that and not really give in to who, who did what or what happened. Like it just just, doesn't fucking matter. 
Like it doesn't, you know, everybody makes mistakes and fucking does dumb things and looks back on it and goes, oh, why did I do that? And always. Yeah. I mean, like I, I try all day long, every day to be the best person I can be, but I still do shit where I fucking stop afterwards and I go, God damn it, why did I <laughs> do that? That's so, yep. that was so dumb. I think though, looking back on my life so far, I've learned way more in life from my failures than I have from my successes. Yep. Way more. And those failures, like I look back on so many things and I go, fuck, thank God I didn't do it the way mm -hmm. I thought I should have. For sure. Or it didn't turn out the way that I thought it should have. For sure. Because I would not fucking be the person that I am mm -hmm. today. It's it's all of the stuff that we go through. Yeah. It's all of the fucking scrapes and the cuts. Life is a fucking journey. Like it's a whole thing and it's going to do this yeah. constantly. The only thing I think that you can, that you really have control over is the person you choose to be through all of it. Because yeah. you can't control any of the rest of it. No. I can be an amazing so person and step off the fucking curb here and get shot in a fucking drive-by, like, <laughs> you know. Literally. Like, be an innocent bystander. No. So you never know. I, and I have no fucking control yeah. of that. It's funny you say that, because I always say, like, people will be like, do you wish you ever parent-trapped your parents and, like, got them to get back together? I'm like, hell no. Like, everything that happened to me that was really hard. You know, I didn't have the most conventional divorce parent situation. My parents don't really talk very much. It's definitely a bit awkward. Like if you asked me if we would spend the holidays all together, I'd be like, Fuck that no. sounds horrible. Right, that's the you worst guys made the ever. choice to separate right. us. We are not doing Christmas totally. all together. Yeah. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. That sounds like a nightmare. But I think that I would not change any of it. I don't think I'd be the person I am. And I think that I've learned that even more as an adult because I started this podcast after having one of the hardest years of my life. And I had always kind of thought yeah, that my what started childhood. This? What started this for you? I went through a really bad bout of depression. I wouldn't change all those bad things. What happened to me during that year? And that's hard to imagine that, but it's true because I wouldn't yeah. be here. I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation Absolutely. with you. I wouldn't be, if I can help one person with this podcast, done take me to heaven it's i'm amazing. good right. <laughs> i'm happy Absolutely. with my life i'm good with yeah, that mental mental health is a is an interesting i had um i had like a neurological thing for about four it took about four and a half years to recover it was like yeah. stroke like i actually stuff. wanted to talk to you about that oh did you i did fantastic <laughs> let's do this so around 2016 you started having some serious health issues can you walk me through what that was like and how it affected you so I had, ha I had had uh, health issues leading up to that. I had had ulcerative colitis out of nowhere. Normally when people deal with uh, issues like that, um, they can have flare-ups like monthly. They can ha it's, it's a pretty common thing. Mm -hmm. I would have a flare-up about like annually, mm. <laughs> like once a year. It was Horrible. sort of like, a, yeah, <laughs> it was this, like out of nowhere, I just start feeling bad and then it would, and it would take me out for like three weeks. It was just like brutal. Um, and then I would take like steroids or something like that and then it would clear up and then it'd be gone for another year. They couldn't really diagnose it. Like my doctor, he couldn't really make any sense of it. He was like, it's, it shows like ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. He was like, but honestly, like looking at your colon, you've, 
you have the ulcer. Like, it looks to me like you've had this for like seven years. And I was like, yeah, I've had it for like two weeks. So, you know, this isn't, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So then I randomly had vertigo, but like serious, like I was in bed for three months. That's a long time. Like couldn't pick my head up off the pillow without getting insanely nauseous. I mm-hmm. would throw up like 17 times a day. Um, I, we lived in a three story home at that point. And I literally, it was the top floor was, um, living room, kitchen, mm-hmm. dining room, like, you know, sort of entertaining area. Second level was the bedrooms. I hadn't come up the stairs into the, into that top floor for like two and a half months. Like I just couldn't do it. That's horrible. Um, undiagnosed. They couldn't, I, I went and saw like specialists in it from the Keck Institute and people that like mm-hmm. deal with vertigo and it didn't fit any of the stuff that, you know, that, that it normally does. And then it just randomly stopped one day and I walked upstairs and I was like, and I went, I was doing uh, anger management at the time, the series. And, uh, I went back to work Hadn't been there for like three months. And they were like, oh, don't we saved all of your scenes for, you know, when you feel better. So come on in. And I worked for like three weeks. I was in all day, every day. I had to do all of my stuff. And then I was like, oh my God, like that, I'm glad that's fucking done. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Uh, That's the worst thing you could possibly go through, I thought. And then all of a sudden I started noticing weird little things. I like, I'm an avid driver. I love it. And I would find myself like oversteering or like coming out of a turn uh, a little too hard and like hitting curves and weird things. I was Mm -hmm. like, what the fuck is going on? This doesn't make any sense. And it just like slowly progressed. I started slurring words here and there. I was like, this isn't horrifying. And I was terrified. It's like, what the fuck is going on with me? So I went and met with a neurologist at Cedars and, um, I was telling him what was going on. He said to me, he was like, I don't know what it is, but looking through your charts and like from when you had uh, ulcerative colitis and stuff, you seem to respond really well to, uh, it was a certain type of steroid. I forget what it was. He was like, I would suggest trying this, taking this steroid. I think you're going to wake up in like a month and a half, two months, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be totally gone. You're going to be like, oh my God, what was that? (laughs) You know? I was like, oh, that, that sounds amazing. Great. Okay. I'll take the steroids and do that. And I started taking the steroids and literally, uh, within like a week's time went from speaking and all of that to walking, shuffle, like shuffling. Like I was 90, I couldn't speak. I couldn't say more than one word every like 25 seconds. Um, I couldn't read. I couldn't play drums, which I had played my whole life. I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. And I had such brain fog that at one point I reintroduced my best friend who I've been friends with for 30 plus years to my sister who he's also known for 30 plus years. They were in the same room and I was like, oh, Scott, you've met my sister Lorelai before, right? And he was like, hello. (laughs) And that's when he realized like how serious it was. And I had to rehab it like a stroke. And... Doctors couldn't figure it out. I did over 190 blood tests. Everything came back fine. I did MRIs. They came back fine. And I ended up uh, 
finding this natural doctor and he found, he found all of these toxins and stuff in my system. And he started doing like this cellular detox with me and, and, uh, it brought me out of my brain fog and, and it got rid of like the stroke like symptoms. I, I had a complete recovery. Like, thank God I had no physical, thank God that's anything leading up to it. But he, horrifying. but it ended up coming down to him. It came down to, uh, gluten and dairy which I had been eating my whole life. Yeah. I, I'm half Italian. So <laughs> I, I eat pasta and bread and cheese and not like that. I'm Italian, so I'm with you. That's my thing. <laughs> and I never knew because I had internal inflammation. And so there was no, I, you couldn't see it. It's not like I could look in the mirror and go, God, I look a little bloated or like there's something going on. It was all fucking internal. Right. And I was like working out and I, like I was super active. I still am active. Yeah. So it just, it felt like it came out of nowhere, but my body just shut down. It got to a point where it was like, I can't, it, this is too much. That's horrible. My body was in fight or flight like every single day. Yeah. And I didn't know it. And it was just fighting this inflammation and fighting all of these things. And I had no idea until finally it just, it couldn't fight anymore. Right. And it stopped. So you don't have any dairy or gluten now? No. So I... No, I wish I could say that. <laughs> but you know what? I'm a foodie. I like I I, I I really enjoy food, but it's in moderation. Like I really try and save it. If we're out somewhere and I look at the menu and I go, "Ooh, that looks really good." Yeah, you got I'll it. Order that bread it's basket comes. Life. It's like, oh, that's a good. Right, I don't want to not live life. One time. Right, but at the same time, I don't want to be die. here the way I was. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know. So it's there's there's it's, a definite line. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's all about a balance. Yeah, totally. I wanted to ask you a little bit more detailed on co-parenting. So, can you talk a little bit more about co-parenting when you guys had first gotten divorced and were single, and how co-parenting is now that like you both have significant others and public significant others, did that impact your guys's, you know, good path of co-parenting or has it been pretty smooth? For sure. I, Sharna, my fiance now is very, uh, very active as a parent. Like she really, she's an amazing stepmother to the kids wow. and is very, um, Involved in their school and really cares about their development and all of that. Megan really lo uh, loves her, loves her with the kids. They get along really well. I mean, we do, we do family things sometimes. Like we, we will go and we'll meet with Megan at the movie theater and like we'll all go see a movie and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, I think the initial co-parenting thing really came down to Megan and I. I think it was easier for me than it was for her because I had really at that point in my life made the choice of I'm going to do this in a positive way no matter what. Like mm -hmm. No matter what is said, no matter what happens, no matter who, it doesn't, I don't care. I'm going to bite my tongue and I'm going to keep my head down and I'm going to, you know, like just forge my way through this yeah um and she and Megan really uh followed suit in that not to say that like oh I started the, you know the positive co-parenting um 
But I think because I had gone through the experience with Cassius, Mm -hmm. I was a little more in a space of, um, it's just super important to me. I mean, she was, she had started in her relationship with Colson pretty, pretty quickly at the point when publicly, you you know, we were, we were divorced. Mm -hmm. I was completely single. Right. So I was like really learning how to navigate life at home with three kids and being, I'm a really active parent. Like I'm at all the school functions and all the things and I, I, I love doing it. I love parenting. When you first separate, there's navigating that. It's like trying to make sense of, okay, how do I, how do I try and be both parents when the kids are with me? And then for Megan, okay, now the kids are with her. How does she try to be both parents and learn how to make it work? Yeah. Um, and then you kind of find a, if you really pay attention to it and your intentions are good, I think then you find a way of doing it that works. And mm-hmm. that's, thank God, that's what we did. Yeah. Power to you because it's thank you. not everyone can do it. So It's not easy. It's definitely inspiring. And I hope that anyone listening who is trying to navigate this right now okay. can... It's Take not easy. Just head down, this. just fucking stick it, like just stick to it. It's, I always tell people, um, your, your kids depend on you. Mm-hmm. You know, at the point when you had kids, um, that's, that's your responsibility. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how much you want to throw in the fucking towel and quit sometimes, yeah. you have kids that depend on you. Period. Period. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. Okay, well, before we wrap up, I want to talk about one recent endeavor that you <laughs> took part in, and I okay. think you know what it's going to be. I don't. I, I can't wait to hear just it. recently binge-watched Special Forces. Oh, yes. This show is <sighs> insane. Fucking insane. I think that show is fantastic it's tv gold a little more context for anyone who doesn't know special forces is on fox it's called the world's toughest test yeah and it literally looks like it is yeah it is it's special forces training which you (laughs) the only way you get to do it normally in life is if you are in you know in the uh, armed services and and you're moving up through those ranks and you do that training to see if you're good enough to to Mm -hmm. make it i literally was like anxious watching you do some of the things you were doing on that show. And so I want to talk about it in two different ways. The first way I want to talk about it more just like give me the tea on what the hell was going on on that show, what was real, what wasn't. And then I also kind of want to tie it into a deeper meaning, but we'll get there when we get there. So first of all, all of it was real, which is, which is why I did it. They were actually that mean to you. Oh yeah. And so when it wasn't, when you guys weren't rolling, they were that mean to you. So here's how it works. (laughs) And this is why this so Char, again, Shar and I watched the first season and we got to the end of it and I turned to her and I said, I want to do the second season of that show. <laughs> and she was like, are you fucking insane? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> but coming from what, I, what I've come from with all the neurological stuff, all the health stuff, yeah. everything, coming out of it being the age that I am, you know, there was, there's that part of um, neurologically, it's like, God, you know, how much of like my lack of memory, the way, you know, compared to the way it used to be is from what I went through compared to just my age, Mm -hmm. just a natural fucking progression. Like it's just what it is. And there was no way of answering those questions except for doing something as extreme as that. Yeah. So that show (laughs) shoots like a documentary. Okay. So you sign up for it. 
it was in New Zealand. So flew to New Zealand. We had like three days of sort of prep. Sunday morning, 6.30, they pick you up. They pick everybody up from their rooms. They still don't want anybody to meet anybody. They want that to happen on camera. Mm-hmm. So they come individually to everyone's rooms, pick you up, take you in a golf cart to your car. Car is driving. You're in it by yourself with somebody driving. And it's like a 45-minute drive. And you get up to like this dirt area in the mountains, fucking totally secluded, like nothing around. Yeah. And then I was just sitting in the car for like an hour as all the other cars are coming. Sound comes over. They wire us up. They do all the stuff. We're still sitting in our cars. Then they're like, okay, we're ready for you. So they put us in these, uh, these like military transport vehicles that hold like 10 people per. You saw them in the first episode. I've seen it all. Yeah. (laughs) So. And we're driving in those for like 45 minutes. And a lot of people, we, you know, I'm, I'm in the car with like Des Bryant and all these people I haven't fucking met before. So I was right. like, and we're all like joking, as you naturally do. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is going to be so crazy. This is going to be so fun. Yeah. Hey, you know, when did you find out you're going to be like all this shit? You know, we're all having a good time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the explosion fucking happens. Yeah. <laughs> explosion happens. Door flies open. You know, put your fucking heads down. I don't want to hear a word from it. <laughs> you're and, you, and you drop your fucking head and you're like, and right away in my mind, I was like, oh my God, here it is. We're, you're fucking in it. And from that moment forward, you don't talk to producers. You don't talk to anybody. You're it's you. It. It's you and the DSs. That's it. So crazy. For eight days. In what the day, barracks. What day did you leave? I left Wednesday morning. Night one. We get there first challenge. We have to fucking walk across the poles and do the whole, which is, it's like 370 feet below us down to a fucking river. There was like, you know, a <laughs> medic. Even, there was a medic so in a raft insane. at the bottom. It was like, I, what do you mean? I, I'm not going to fall to the fucking bottom, man, am I? <laughs> so then they take us back to the barracks. Barracks fucking suck. Like there's no running water. There's barely fucking power. There's, we have to do everything. It's a buddy system. So if you're going to go to the bathroom, you have to have a friend that you go with. You have to, you have to have a person with you at all times. So everything that you, whether you're going to go to the bathroom, you're going to go get wood because we had to keep wood in the thing to keep the room that we were in warm. Warm. Um, and they work us out the very first night, bring us outside. They have us doing duck walks with fucking these rocks and then doing these like, you know, uh, uh, squats, and then we had to do walking lunges, and then we had to do uh, we had to do um, burpees. With you, th- you throw the rock down, you do that, and then you get up and then you <laughs> jump with. It. I was so sore that the next day I could barely fucking walk, like barely walk. I and that was imagine. when that was when I realized, like, oh, this is why athletes and um, people in the military. That's why they have like a cutoff age. For bringing, because it's not that you don't have the strength to do it. Because I did, I had the strength to do all of it, right? And I had the mental, uh, I had the emotional and mental capacity to do the challenges. That would have been fine, but I was so sore. Mm-hmm. And whereas someone that's twenty-one recovers in like six hours, and they're yeah. like, "Oh, I'm feeling better." I, I got home, and I still didn't. I had trouble sleeping for like three nights when I got home. Back in LA, home. Of course, I because can totally my imagine. body hurts so fucking bad, <laughs> and you kind of, I kind of got to this. And Robert Ori was the same way. He left with me of like, I, I could tell I was like, I'm so sore, I'm gonna end up hurting myself 
on one of these challenges because I'm compensating for how sore I yeah. am. Like I can't walk one fucking stair. They made us in the barracks. We had to run. We had to jog to the bathrooms, jog back. And it was like, killed me. Can I just ask one thing? Why, why did they have to put a bag over your heads just to walk those few feet? Because it is, <laughs> it's special forces training. And the concept is they want to put people in training through the most extreme conditions as possible, mm -hmm. yelling in your face, being mean, putting a bag over your head, putting like taking you out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. to see if mentally you've got what it takes to stick it out. Yeah. Do you feel like there was something, so this is the deeper part I was talking about. Okay. Do you feel like there was something in you that like made you want to go on the show other than the fact that you had watched it with your fiance? Do you feel like there's something in you that you were looking to fulfill from being on that show? I honestly wanted to see what I was still capable of. Mm -hmm. I, I really knew, um, my fiance used to ask me all the time, like, oh, you know, are you, are you training? Are you doing physical things to try and like prepare for it or whatever? And I was like, you know, I honestly felt like it was for the most part, a mental game mm -hmm. being there. And I was like, I, from everything I've been through, you like, I'm that. fucking yell in my face. Like, I don't, I, yeah. like, you guys don't. <laughs> I've, I honestly feel like I've been through fucking been to hell and back in life, like with what I went through. I mean, I, you know, I four and a half years of recovering from something, spending damn near two and a half years not speaking at all, like being in conversations and literally just having to sit and listen because I couldn't physically speak. That's horrible. Um, I was like, fuck, I can take any of this shit. Yeah. It's um, such a good show. It's so I good. I loved it. If it's you haven't so watched it, good. please watch it. It's Ugh. so freaking but good. But grueling. It's fucking yeah, I don't, grueling. I've never seen anything like <laughs> it, but I live yeah. for it. I need yeah. more. But anywho, thank you for this entire conversation. I feel like we talked about more than I could have ever imagined. We covered acting, mental health relationships, divorce. There's so much in here that I think could help so many people. And I'm super grateful for your vulnerability. Before we end, I do this thing in every episode. It's called Alpies 3. I have a playlist where okay. I add three songs each episode. And it usually pertains to what I talk to a guest about or songs that they suggest. So what are three songs? I'm going to take you old school hip hop. I'm just going to do it. Please do. Just can you just tell me three songs, your three favorite songs if you can? <laughs> it's the world's hardest question, God, but it's the world's hardest. If question. it makes it easier, I'll give you three songs that I love. They're not easy. They're not my three favorite songs because that's impossible to answer. But they're three songs that I love. Okay, perfect. Passing me by, Far Side is one. Stakes is high, De La Soul. Wooha, Buster Rhymes. Okay, well, I'm definitely gonna listen to these, and they will be on the playlist as well. Thank you for being here and for sharing so much. And thank you, Hank, for being yeah, here Hank, for making an appearance. My dog is getting pissed. He's over us taping, so he's telling me to let him out of the room up. that he's. Been, yeah, he's, he's saying he's let's the wrap, wrap it up. up sign, it's time yeah. to go. He's the wrap it up sign for the award <laughs> show that's flashing. Yeah, that's literally. Nice but yeah. for everyone listening, we will be back next week with another episode. Thank for you. you so much for having me. Thank I, you. And, and what you're doing here again, I said it before. It's really. It's really amazing and really impressive. Thank you. And I, I can't wait to see where it goes. It means the world. Thank you so much. And thank you all. I love you. And I'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.